On a beautiful run through the park on a pleasant day, you can easily get lost. No, no, no. She didn't kill him. Huh? In your true crime podcast. It was the pool guy. So obvious. Whatever motivates you works for us. It's all about letting your run be your run. And Brooks is here for every runner. Doing the research and sweating the details to create gear that works for you. It's your run. Brooks. Run happy. Wikipedia cast. My name is Dimitri Filipovich and joining me is my pal Ken Wilson. Ken, what's going on, man? Oh, what's up? Not much. It's uh, been an interesting time to be a Flames fan in the last little while, that's for sure. It certainly has. Well, let's let's jump right into this. Let's <laughs> talk about the Tyler Toffoli move and uh, and sort of our thoughts on it and try to unpack it as best we can. So okay. when evaluating trades, I typically try to sort of keep two central tenets in mind um, when I'm trying to, trying to judge them. One, I think we need to go off the information we have at the time and sort of the information the trade was based off of. Too often I see people say, kind of push the, kick the ball down the road by saying, oh, well, we're going to have to see how this plays out and judge it based on the results. And obviously this is a results business and how far the Flames go in the playoffs and what they get out of Toffoli in doing so will obviously shape the perception of this trade when we look back at it two, three, five years down the road. But we also, I think, have to, um, judge it based off of what we know now in terms of the player Tyler Foley has been, how he's profiled, and sort of where the Flames are at in their organizational trajectory in terms of how they've been playing this season. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. And th- th- then the second one is, I-, I think sometimes we can be a-, a bit too binary in our analysis in terms of asking, okay, did the team improve or not? Because obviously you do want to improve, but there's an opportunity cost involved. And if you're leaving value on the table, that needs to be considered as well. So I guess that's kind of maybe even the more relevant part of this calculus here in the sense that the flames got out ahead of the market and sort of pushed the first domino down and made the first move um, in acquiring to with all these other names still on the board. Do you think yeah. that this was the right player to target? Do you think this was the move that made the most sense? Or do you think that potentially playing this out or maybe even going, um, you know, hunting for a bigger name would have made more sense based on what the flames need? Uh, it, it makes a lot of sense from a lot of angles. So one of the things with the Flames is they've needed a good right winger for a long time. Um, Troy Broward didn't work out. James Neal didn't work out. They've they've had problems, you know, developing right wings and, and picking right wings at the draft. You know, uh, Kachuk's playing right wing this year. Manjapani's played right wing. Coleman's played right wing, even though he's left. So uh, it's a huge gap on the team. Like right now, Brett Ritchie plays right wing with uh, – Monaghan and Dylan Dubé and he doesn't have a single point in the entire season <laughs> so yeah huge huge gap in the lineup that they filled but <clears throat> uh, the package they gave up um, is a really good one for the organization just because you know going into the trade deadline they have you know just a handful of, of top level uh, prospects they have almost no what I would call blue chip guaranteed stars in there there's Coronado there's Zeri there's Peltier, um, Balamaki, if you want to call him a prospect still. And that's really about it. It's uh, hey, they've can't, done. Can't put yeah, some respect yeah. on my boy Dustin Wolf's name. 
Dustin Wolf, right? Yeah, great goalie. Yeah. Of course, a lot of yeah. people are wary about goalies until they make it. But yeah, absolutely. Great. Yes. Great asset. So yeah, it's it's a handful of guys. They've done well with the picks they've had, but they haven't picked high or often uh, recently. So they don't have a huge prospect pool to pick from. So and then you have obviously the risk going into the trade deadline, shooting for uh, you know a Pavelski or, or Giroux or a Hurdle, and and coming up empty. And then now what are you going to do? So I, I like this move from all those angles. Yeah, certainly, and, and and I imagine the the baggage they they have as well in terms of you know just narrowly missing out and finishing second place in their pursuit of Mark Stone and and Jack mm-hmm. Eichel more recently certainly played into that as well. Where we, the longer this stretches out, the more likely it is more teams get desperate, get involved. There, there kind of establishes a last minute bidding war for one of those players. And I think right. this is. You think it's fair to say this has been a flame seat under under Brad Truliving that's been relatively measured with their team building approach. Like I know they were obviously aggressive in free agency uh, a number of times in terms of shelling out a bunch of money for players to, to um, you know, in some cases it's worked out, obviously in some cases it hasn't, but especially in the, in the way they seem to value their draft picks, especially first rounders where they feel like they need to have those guys in place to kind of build up this organic pipeline that cost controlled young players can come up and work their way up and they won't have to worry about all of these financial decisions for, for years down the road. Um, do you think it's fair to say that the way the flames have viewed this thing has been kind of more sort of cautious in terms of, especially in season aggressive moves where you used to watch a, a rival like Vegas, where they, seem to not care at all about draft picks. They're just constantly (laughs) pushing all in and their risk profile is about as high as you're ever going to see for an NHL franchise. I'd say, you know, there's certainly more conservative teams than the flames, but I'd say they kind of trend towards that, that more conservative range compared to a team like Vegas. Well, and and true living was pretty aggressive, especially earlier in his tenure. And he's in town here. He's always known to be in on deals. He's, Mm. he's always rumored to be yeah, true living's calling on Eichel. He's calling on stone. I just think part of it is it that gets harder and harder to execute as you spend assets, as you lose cap space. You know, they, they spent assets on Mike Smith, on Hamannick, on, uh, you know, the Dougie Hamilton trade is one of his best. And then he flipped that for Lindholm and Hannafin, which has worked out. But as he went along, he lost certain trades. He lost uh, cap space. So he didn't have a lot of flexibility to execute on those trades. So I just think, uh, I, I think he was in on a lot of stuff, but it, it just got harder and harder to actually make them happen. Man, if I was a if I was a GM, I would just be constantly buzzing Pierre LeBron and Elliot Friedman and Kevin Weeks and all of these insiders, just letting yeah. them know I, I'm in on these moves. I'm <laughs> yeah. I'm active right now. I'm 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 trying the best I can. I'm I'm yeah. I'm fielding calls. I'm sending some feelers out. I'm off, I'm making offers. It hasn't worked out, but I'm I'm involved. You can't blame me for that. Yeah, it's entirely possible. It's a it's a way to deflect criticism too, but. Um, yeah, it, it could be he's, they're not at all aggressive, but that he just has a, a, a reputation for it in mm-hmm. the, in the press. But, uh, from what I could see over the years, he just had less ammunition to get anything done as well. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, I think that's a fair way to frame it. Um, you know, yeah. the contractual component of this is interesting to me in the sense that I think, you know, you often hear about how teams are, are generally wary of, of making big moves for rentals because the, the window, um, you know, to cash in on that is so short and we know how random the playoffs can be and, and pretty much adding any player. It, we'd like to think it's going to make a big difference, but in reality, it probably moves a needle, needle by like a couple percentage points in terms of your playoff odds. So um, yeah. I, it, it makes sense that teams would prefer players with term. I think 
where it's interesting for the Flames in this regard is obviously Tofolia at two years, uh, 4.25 per after this season uh, is a great value, right? If you, if you walk to the yeah. open market and you could get Tyler Toffoli for two years at 4.25, I, I imagine most of the team would be quite interested in that. It's a very affordable sort of middle six winger at least. Um, but for the Flames, you know, they have a lot of financial questions coming up where Johnny Gaudreau, Matthew Kachuk, Andrew Manjapani, even Oliver Shillington, they're all up for a new deals. They've all performed so well and produced at such high levels so far this season that they've certainly earned significant pay raises and they're going to have a lot of leverage, um, at least the, the UFAs there uh, heading into, into free agency this summer. So the Flames are going to kind of try to have to balance two things where I imagine they would like to retain all those players and they certainly have some some wiggle room in terms of contracts that could potentially move that are currently off of their books. But in locking in a player uh, at 4.25, like to Foley like this, do you think they view it as sort of security or insurance in case one of those negotiations goes wrong where, okay, well, at least we know that we have a guy like to Foley uh, for the next two years at a very good price. Or do you think that they viewed it as, all right, well, let's play this year out and then we'll see how those negotiations go. And, you know, worst case, if we wind up having to spend more money than we thought, Toffoli has no trade protection in his deal and we'll be able to, to reroute him to pretty much any number of destinations to make that money work. Yeah. It's probably more the latter, honestly. Um, they, they like the player they like him for right now and they view the contract as, as high value. So once they have to come to those other bridges in the off season, in the summer, they will cross those. But right now they want to figure out what's the best uh, deal and player for right now. And uh, how do we make it work in the long term as well? Well, so the Flames, the conversation around them is really interesting. I think they've, they've uh, no pun intended, burned people so many times over the years that it seems like <laughs> excitement is generally pretty tempered for a team that has a statistical profile that they do, where, you know, they've by any measure been one of the best five, five on five teams in the league, a third in shot share, second in high danger chance share, third in goal share, second in expected goal share. Across all situations, they're actually up to seventh in goal scoring rate. Only the Hurricanes give up a lower rate of goals against than they do. Um, they've got legitimate candidates, uh, at least to be finalists for the Vesna and Markstrom, the Selkie and Lindholm, the Hart and Goodrow, and the Jack Adams and Sutter. They've had some downright dominant performances of late where they've just completely pummeled their opponents, right? They had 62 shots on Columbus. Uh, recently they had a game against the blues where they scored like seven in a row on them, I believe, and outshot them 35 to nine along the way. It was, it was one of the most lopsided 40 minutes of hockey that you'll ever see in an NHL game. And so you yeah. look at all of that and you say, all right, like it makes sense that this would be a team that, that pushes the chips in that, that really makes a move to try to solidify their group and really increase the likelihood that they can make a long run this season with what they have. Um, the fit of Toffoli is very interesting to me because on the surface, you would think that that, those, that top six is, is pretty solidified, right? In terms of the two combinations they have right now, I really like them. So you're talking about a player who certainly is going to give them uh, special teams utility, but for the most part, a five on five is probably, I imagine in an ideal world, going to be a third liner for them. Uh, and, and I think that's some of the, the concern or potential um, kind of mitigation and the enthusiasm behind this deal for, for certain people is that, like, you know, we just paid quite a bit for a guy who best case scenario is going to be playing on the third line for us. Yeah, we can, let's get after the first part first. Like okay. it's, uh, I've written about the Flames since 2005. I professionally wrote about them from about 2009. Uh, I don't write about them anymore professionally, but I've, I've been following them very closely for that amount of time. And this is the best 
Flames iteration I have seen in that period. So uh, there was a lot of frustration in the offseason heading into it, uh, especially around the Eichel situation. It was uh, the fan base felt the Flames had to pick a lane. They either had to decide that this year they were going to rebuild because of the pending UFA uh, of Johnny Gaudreau or push all your chips in. And when, you know, nothing really happened in the summer aside from signing Coleman and Goodbranson and stuff, it was like, okay, well, are we just going to do this middle of the road stuff, which has been sort of the fate of the franchise for a very long time now. Um, And to see the team sort of get to this point and then to see the GM go in with Toffoli, it's nice. you're, You're starting to see actual excitement kind of crest, at least in this market, because it's like, okay, we've, we've picked a lane. We're going to try to be contenders. So that's, that is a big part of it. But, uh, on the Toffoli thing, no one's really worried about where he, he slots in in terms of second or third line. Um, up until like the last probably four weeks, Calgary was kind of a one t- one line team. You mm-hmm. had Backlund and Coleman who were kind of struggling to score. Dubé and Monahan are still struggling to score. Um, the fourth line wasn't scoring, but Adam Ruzicha has kind of come up and, and given them a shot in the arm. So the, the Flames, you know, actually scoring and being dominant is only kind of flat in the last, I'd say, four or five weeks here, uh, if that. So um, the other issue is is obviously risk, uh, uh, sorry, injury risk, right? So right. Um, if you have a Kachuk go down or a Manjapani go down or even a Coleman go, go down, you don't want Brett Ritchie going up the rotation. Um, it's a lot better if it's Tyler Toffoli. Yeah. Well, I mean, Daryl Sutter might, might want Brett Ritchie moving up. He seems, to, <laughs> he seems to like him quite a bit. But yeah, I, I think, yeah, that, that, that you know, the first line, uh, they're outscoring teams 40 to 12 in 555 yeah. on five minutes so far. It's about as obscene of a, of a magic as you're going to see. Like, I think clearly it's ridiculous. been the yeah. best line so far. Um, and obviously, you know, a lot has been made of Manjipani scoring on the road. A lot of course, he's that's, I think, entirely random. He's scored more at home it recently. Uh, and Coleman and Backlund are obviously very good players. So that trio makes sense. I think getting more out of that third line, and kind yeah. of identifying that as the, the the pressure point you want to target for this team in terms of how you can most optimally improve um, the output makes a lot yeah. of sense because Monaghan and Dubé have this very interesting profile where like a lot of the underlying shot metrics look good. They seem to be getting chances. Like it, it, if you just strip away the, the actual goals and what they're getting out of it, you'd be like, all right, this is perfectly fine. We can definitely roll with this. But then you look at the fact that they have seven and nine five on five points respectively, which puts them behind Nikita Zadorov and Eric Branson in scoring for the team. And, yeah. and, and that's clearly not good enough. The team is only shooting 3.7% with them on the ice at five on five. And that's probably a, a, a bit sort of unsustainable in terms of they're eventually going to start scoring regardless of whether Tyler Bedlick or Brad Ritchie or whoever was on the ice with them. But yeah. I think adding to Foley and a player with his skill set and his sort of track record of being able to not only score goals himself, but help create chances, help drive play in that regard, help especially attack kind of that middle of the ice, below the dots, uh, kind of that premium real estate where you ideally want to target, uh, where you want to attack offensively, especially uh, against good teams come the playoffs. I think that's going to help a lot. And, and as you said, bumping the likes of Pitlick and Richie either out of the lineup or, or down the lineup as well in the process helps a lot. So I think I'm very, very curious to see how to fully helps them in terms of turning some of these shots into goals and whether he can help kind of maximize the time that they have been spending in the zone, because certainly if they can get that third line going with the way the top six have been playing recently, that essentially not only shores up one of their existing weaknesses, but really just doesn't give the other team 
a lot of like reprieve over the course of a game to relax. If you know that there's three lines that are going to be coming at you, that can be buzzsaws. So I'm going to be very fascinated to see the effect that Toffoli has on those two guys, assuming he does play with them. Yeah, it's definitely the the lone sort of soft spot in the roster right now. I think they're getting outscored. I think their goal share is 39% at even strength, even though uh, they both have expected goal shares of 55% or better. So um yeah, it's Monahan isn't the same player he used to be. He's he's suffered a lot of injuries, but he is kind of getting back up to speed now. His shots, his individual shooting really sort of hit a ditch uh, last year and this year. Um, but it started to come back up. And I don't know if he's ever going to be the finisher he was, but at least he and Dubé are definitely getting looks. So uh, whether it's Toffoli playing with them or or they put you know Manjapani or Coleman down with them, it should be. Uh, a better and more more dangerous line it's so strange because when he came into the league that was kind of his calling card right that that just consistently elite finishing he's clearly had uh you know uh, he had a brutal injury that he dealt with for a while that was clearly dragging down his performance but even this year where it seems like he has is healthy for the most part it hasn't been there and we know we know that you know shooting percentage can be very fleeting and there's very few players that year over year you can bank on to be well above average, but yeah. yeah, I really did think that he was going to be one of those guys based on the way he started his career. And, and, and it just hasn't been the case the past couple of seasons. Well, he's, he's gone through a lot. He's had yeah, multiple yeah. wrist surgeries. He's had uh, hernia, hernia, hernia surgery uh, and, and recently hip surgery. And uh, from what I've heard that he basically had to relearn how to skate. Like he, mm. he came out in the off season and said, uh, I couldn't bend over and, and, take face-offs properly. I couldn't sit properly because of my injury. So it sounds like he's kind of had to rebuild himself as a hockey player. Uh, and of course, the other issue is he's not playing with Johnny Goudreau anymore. And he's the sort of talent then that can help you uh, raise your on-ice shooting percentage. But in the end, I think Monaghan's going to have to be somebody else that he, you know, that he wasn't when he was a rookie and a young player. Uh, and maybe he's figuring that out. Champions aren't born, they're made. And the secret to make your business reign supreme, Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. Forget the off-season work, Shopify makes it simple to sell to anyone from anywhere. Whether you're selling warm-ups or wall hangers, it's time to start selling with Shopify and join the platform simplifying commerce for millions of businesses worldwide. With Shopify, you'll customize your online store to your brand, discover new customers, and build the relationships that create die-hard fans. Shopify fields all the sales channels to grow a winning business from an in-person POS system to an all-in-one e-commerce platform, even across social media platforms like TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram. Shopify is a secret to becoming a business champion by making it simple for anyone to sell their products anywhere, taking the guesswork out of selling. When you're ready to take your winning idea to the world, team up with Shopify, the commerce platform powering millions of businesses down the street and around the globe. Sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash bluewire, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash bluewire to start selling online today. Shopify.com slash bluewire. Every deep playoff run starts with building an amazing team. Doing the same for your business doesn't take a room full of scouts. You just need Indeed. Don't spend hours on multiple job sites looking for candidates with the right skills when you can do it all with Indeed. 
Hate waiting? Indeed's US data shows over 80% of Indeed employers find quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed matches their job description the moment they sponsor a job. Something I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because with virtual interviews, Indeed saves you time. You can message, schedule, and interview top talent all in one place. Indeed knows that when you're growing your business, you have to make every dollar count. That's why when you sponsor a job, you only pay for quality applications from resumes in our database matching your job description. Visit Indeed.com slash BlueWire to start hiring today. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Cost per application pricing not available for everyone. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yeah, well, we'll see. I think adding a, a player that can that can help with the playmaking and can maybe help uh, set the table for him a bit more into Foley should help a lot with that. Um, for sure. Is there any uh, any other stuff with this trade, like whether it's it's uh, integrating Foley into his lineup and obviously the connection with Sutter or, or you know the timing of you know we talked about how they set the market and got out ahead of things, but I think the fact that they have this upcoming sort of jam schedule where they've got seventeen games between now and the deadline, I imagine also yeah. added a little add extra incentive for them getting this done now, bringing Foley and helping them in, in this race that they're currently um, in with Vegas for first in the Pacific, which is obviously going to be valuable in terms of uh, locking down home ice advantage and whatnot. But uh, is there any other sort of component of this trade that we, that we haven't considered? Because for me, looking at it from the outside, like I, I think we generally are supposed to play the role as analysts of wet blankets cool. in terms of tempering excitement and being like, all right, well, let's not get too carried away. There's this stuff to consider, especially if a player is riding some sort of unsustainable percentage or whatever. And when we have to wind up kind of pumping the brakes on the excitement. But in this case, it really does seem like, it was a very logical trade, even for both sides, right? Like even from, from the Canadians yeah. perspective, like, yeah, it, it, I'm, I'm sure some of their fans are bummed out about the way the season's going and, and moving a player that's as good of a player at the price that he is as to Foley kind of signals that they probably have a, a, a long haul here in terms of cool. the rebuild they're approaching with the new management group they have. And they're probably going to just try to, trade everything they can away for as many picks as they can and sort of rebuild uh, at a slower pace that way. But um, yeah. from, from the Flames perspective, like targeting that and sort of identifying a player with the fully skills and then going out and getting him for the price they did really does seem like a slam dunk. So we'll see how much it moves the needle. But I think just on the surface, like it, this really is one of those rare trades where it just makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I, I think the most interesting aspect is sort of the, the Daryl Sutter connection. Um, uh, just to rewind a little bit, like this this team at the same point last year looked completely lost, hopelessly lost at this point in the year last year under a different coach. Um, they didn't, they weren't all pulling in the same direction. Nobody seemed to know what the system was or what they were trying to accomplish. And Sutter has really turned that around in a pretty short period of time. As you said, he's a Jack Adams finalist there this year, almost certainly. So having a player that he knows that has played with him that knows the systems, that knows a lot of players on this team, Lewis, Lucic, uh, Tanev, I think he's played with at least. So uh, it seems like Toffoli can just kind of come in, be comfortable immediately, know what's expected of him, know what kind of system the team is playing and just slot right in, which is uh, not always a guarantee when you add someone uh, mid-season. Well, the, the, the way Sutter is perceived, obviously he's been around the league for such a long period of time and and, and he's kind of viewed as sort of, this, this old school coach, right? And there's certainly certain elements to to what he's looking for players. He might prefer that they kind of lay credence to that. But I think 
in preparation for the season, I was kind of looking at their metrics to end last year and it got lost in the shuffle a little bit because they were just playing out the string with those random makeup games against the Canucks and, and, you know, they yeah. weren't competing for the postseason, And so there was no real reason for people to be really kind of glued to what was going on or, or the way they were playing or how they were trending. But a lot of those defensive metrics really started to, to take hold to what we envision with, with a Daryl Sutter team when it's, when it's operating at its, at its best, right? Like they were so stingy for the final, whatever, 20, 25 games or so under him. And, you know, Markstrom wasn't himself. He was hurt. He was in and out of the lineup. And so having a healthy Jacob Markstrom certainly helps quite a bit, but once again, those, those metrics defensively are where they are. I think the, the thing for me is that gets lost in the shuffle is when this team is playing its best and, and the way Daryl Sutter wants them to play, it's not really boring to watch. I don't think like, no. like there's certain, there, there's periods of time where, where, where there might not be concrete events to point to, but like, they, like they want to play fast, right? Like they want to be flipping the puck up the ice as quickly as they can and creating and sort of constantly moving. And that's exciting hockey to me to watch. So it's interesting. Like, I, I, um, common critique is, oh, well, you know, classic, classic Calgary flames. They're going to, they're going to win and Jacob Markson's going to have a shutout and they're going to give up 18 Ooh. shots against. And uh, I'm sure they would love that, that to be the case every single game because it means they're doing something well and, and, and winning pretty comfortably, but uh, yeah. there's a lot happening on the rush in these games. And I think that ideally they are a pretty, pretty rush heavy, exciting team to watch when they're really firing. Yeah, no, this isn't, you know, boring, Daryl Sutter hockey as it's sort of been known. And, and sometimes Sutter hockey can be that if he doesn't have the horses, uh, he's going to strangle you, <laughs> right? He's going to have a system right. where he, he makes sure that it's difficult to score on his team, but he has the horses with this team. You know, he's put together uh, one of the, you know, argue, arguably the best first line in hockey. Um, he's let Goudreau do Goudreau things this year. You know, um, there's probably five, flames on this team having career years right now. And then this is not smothering his own club in terms of their uh, offense. It's his goal is to smother the other team, but allow his own players, the, uh, the rope to go out there and, and create as well. Certainly. All right. Well, I, I think we, we um, covered every important angle here uh, with this trade. So can't plug a, plug some stuff, let people know about the, uh, the discord that you're, that you're running for, for fans to, to come and chat, uh, at, at a thoughtful level and kind of share their share conversations and observations and what have you about the game. So, uh, plug that stuff. Cause obviously, as we talked about, you're not writing these days, so I'm not going to ask yeah. you to, to plug your written <laughs> content, but, uh, the discord is pretty yeah. cool. Yeah. I have a discord server called big body presence. Um, it's an inside joke for anyone who knows me. Um, yeah, it's, it's mostly for flames fans. If you want to talk about, pocket using you know scouting or charts or, or numbers i'm comfortable with all that sort of stuff that's uh high um signal low, low noise hopefully <laughs> for anyone who's out there on twitter uh, you can find the discord link on my twitter it's uh, kent underscore wilson and uh, yeah come and join if you want to talk about numbers and hockey all right. Well, this is a blast, man. I'm glad we got to do this. I'm glad that you have something, uh, something exciting and, and optimistic yeah. uh, in your hockey <laughs> life right now. So uh, enjoy this and uh, we'll definitely check back in sometime down the road. Thanks so much, man. Cheers, pal. All right. That's going to be it for today's episode of the Hockey PDO cast. As I'm sure you noticed, this was a shorter show than we're used to doing. Normally, the PDO cast is known for doing its 90-minute deep dives uh, on certain subjects. So I think in this case, I want to get into doing kind of shorter bite-sized shows that are more timely, uh, reacting to relevant trades, transactions, things that we can really sink our teeth into and unpack 
and hopefully we're going to get to do more of those between now and March 21st uh, when the trade deadline hits. So, you know, last week, uh, towards the end of the week, we did a, a quick show talking about the Oilers firing Dave Tippett and making their coaching change and kind of where they go from here. Uh, now we did this uh, conversation on, on the Flames and their acquisition of Tyler Toffoli. So I'm sure we're going to have plenty more opportunities to do this moving forward and, and hopefully um, you enjoy it and get some use out of it. I, I know it's a bit different uh, in terms of the programming compared to what you're used to from this feed, but hopefully it'll allow us to to crank out more shows um, and kind of constantly be reacting to stuff. So if you did enjoy it, uh, please consider leaving us a rating, leaving us a review for the show wherever you listen to podcasts. A lot of you have done so already. You know the drill. It's really easy to do. You just smash that five-star button. If you're feeling extra generous, you got some free time, uh, take a minute to to write up a quick little comment about what you either uh, like about the show or why you recommend people check it out if they haven't done so already. So each of those helps us a lot, and every single one is greatly appreciated. So thank you for doing that in advance. Um, also, if you're enjoying my work, you're looking for more analysis and more content, you can certainly subscribe to EP Ringside as well, where I'm going to be doing a lot of written breakdowns of of trades like the Tyler Toffoli one uh, to go along with the usual uh, deeper dives and uh, and kind of more random and less less uh, timely content about you know random topics and analysis and so on and so forth. So uh, I highly recommend that we've got a great team there with with a bunch of fantastic analysts that are creating really cool, unique, thoughtful content uh, on a daily basis. And, and obviously with uh, the draft coming up here, uh, I'd, I'd recommend that as well. We, we obviously didn't talk too much about the, the Canadians' uh, perspective for this trade because I think it was sort of more um, obvious what they were trying to accomplish with it in, in trading a, a player like Tower Toffoli away for, for futures. But uh, for Canadians fans that are, that are still listening, uh, if you are looking for more content, I'm sure we're going to have a ton for you this summer with the draft coming up in Montreal with the Canadians holding 12 picks at the moment and I'm sure uh, likely to add even more to that treasure trove over the next couple of weeks with, with future trades they make so uh, keep your eyes peeled to that and our uh, breakdowns of all the draft eligible players and rankings and so on and so forth so we'll be back soon with more on this feed uh, thank you for listening thank you for supporting the show and until then here is the outro music <laughs> Twitter at Dim Filipovich and on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash hockey PDOcast.